This month, uh, we have been talking about stewardship. And the sermon series was opened up with about being a steward of their time. And time does fly, right? Because that was only, what, three weeks ago, four weeks ago? And that time was such a valuable resource that God has given us. And we would be wise, the Bible says, to redeem the time that he has given us. Um, Pastor Bobby talked about using your gifts, being a steward of the gifts that God has given you. That the gifts, the talents, the resources that God has given you isn't just for your benefit, but so that you would be a blessing to others. So that your gifts can be a, a bless and a help to, to other people. Pastor Matt, he talked about uh, being a steward of finances. He said, uh, tithe it, save it, and then he said, spend it. And I like that part. That got my attention right there. But we are to be faithful stewards of the resources of the finances that God has given us. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, it says, Each of you should use whatever gift that you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. As stewards, uh, we are caretakers in the kingdom of God. You think about that. Uh, the, the, where God had found us at one point in our lives before we knew him. He saved us. He transformed us. He did a work in our lives, renewed our mind, restored us. And then he gave us a responsibility in the kingdom of God. What an awesome privilege that we can serve in the household of God. What an awesome privilege that uh, God, he calls us out of that darkness and he puts us into his marvelous light. And then he gives us a responsibility as stewards in the house of God. Some of us, myself included, the things that God has allowed us to be a part of, the things that God has uh, given us uh, an ability to serve in, it, it, it's, it's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. You know, I, I believe there's people here that for whatever reason, you might have had to drop out of high school, and now you're a business owner. Now you're a supervisor. Now you're a college graduate. That's, that's the power of God working in an individual's life. That which God has given you, he's made you a steward over, a caretaker over that. And to be a steward in the house of God, it's a blessing. It's a joy. It's a privilege. But it's also a great responsibility. When you hear that word responsibility, sometimes people are like, oh. I work with uh, a gentleman, and he was up uh, for a promotion. And they offered him a promotion, and he said, oh, no, thank you. I don't want that responsibility. He says, I just want to do my eight and skate. <laughs> and we can't have that mentality in the kingdom of God uh, where we're just going to hear a bunch of and then we're out, you know. No, God, responsibility is a good thing. When God gives us a responsibility, we should embrace it and say, thank you, Jesus, for trusting me with this awesome privilege. When I was younger, my parents gave me chores to do. And like most kids, I didn't like doing chores, right? I'd figure a way to get out of it. I'd start and go take a nap somewhere. And, but what I didn't see then, and I now see as, as, as an adult, is that my parents were trying to teach me uh, character. They were trying to teach me the value of work, the value of time management and responsibility and consequence. I would hear things like, uh, this better be done by the time I get home or else. Anybody hear that? 
I had a certain window to get this thing done, right, or else. And many of us know what that or else is. I want to leave the house and, hey, did you take care of that thing that I asked you to do? Uh, no. Well, then you're not leaving. I, I was 19 years old when I started coming to church, and I remember I told my mom, I said, Mom, I'm going to a men's discipleship. It was early in the morning. That she, she said, did you clean the restroom? I said, no. She says, clean the restroom before you go anywhere. She's teaching me responsibility. She was teaching me what my dad would say, character. So why do you make me do this? It builds character. And that's what I want to talk about tonight, being a steward of character. And I've entitled this message, Character Counts. Character Counts. There are many qualities that God looks for uh, in a steward. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 2, it says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Book of Titus, chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. It says, God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. And he must hold firm to the trustworthy, trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. The Bible is filled with uh, men and women that were of high character, men and women that uh, God trusted with a certain mission, and God trusted with a certain responsibility. These men and women, they were faithful, they were dependable, they were righteous, and they could be trusted. And I tell you right, right now that trustworthy people they're a gem. Oh, thank God for trustworthy people. If you serve alongside someone that's trustworthy, you know what I'm talking about. They can be counted on. They're dependable. They're reliable. They can handle responsibility. I, I work at a college campus, and one of the vendors where I order my material from, uh, she called me up. We, we, we had to talk about some reconciling some invoices and whatnot. And, and after that, all that was taken care of, she says, how's... Um, uh, my sales guy comes and visits me once a week, and I said, you know, he's amazing. I said, the guy is awesome. I said, let me tell you something. You got a real uh, 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 gem in this individual. I said, he's, he's reliable. He gets you what you need. He, you know, he goes that extra mile. He's, he's very knowledgeable, and his customer service is just impeccable. And she says, you know what, that he handles all of her major accounts, and the reason that he handles those counts, uh, she said, is because she knows that she can trust him to not mess things up. Right? Here, here is this, and he's a young man, and, and he's handling these major accounts, and he's on it. He's trustworthy. He's reliable. He, even though this business isn't his, he takes ownership of this business that he's helping grow, and he meets the needs of the customers. I said, you should give him a raise. See, stewards see that what is given to them is not as their own, but it's God's, and they're to be careful managers of that. When we think of a righteous steward, often uh, Joseph comes to mind. In my house, he's known as Joseph, the king of dreams, right, because of that animated movie way back when. But we, we know the story of Joseph. 
as a young teenager, he was uh, given a dream, given a vision that he would be a ruler. But because of his immaturity or lack of maturity, his inexperience and the jealousy and the envy of his brothers, Joseph found himself uh, imprisoned. He found himself uh, enslaved. He didn't find himself the ruler that he thought he was going to be. But it was these things that occurred in his life, the temptations, the false accusations, the imprisonment. Uh, it was all of these things that made him into the steward that God had intended him to be all along. The Bible says that uh, he was the ruler of Egypt, second to Pharaoh. And it was because of all of these trials and all of these testings and, and all of these circumstances that he found himself in, faithful, faithful, faithful. And sometimes we go through things. Sometimes we go through testings. And sometimes we go through uh, assaults. And we think, God, is this what I signed up for? Trust the process. God is doing something. He's molding. He's shaping you. And what the enemy means for evil, what the enemy means to destroy you, God is using it to build you up. God is using it to establish you. And that's what he was doing in the life of Joseph. He was indeed a man of character. And when we are in a position of leadership, whether it's at home or at work or at school or even here in the house of God, it's important that we too be people of character. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 16, verses, verse 32, it says, Better to be patient than powerful. Better to have self-control than to conquer a city. And it's talking about uh, that a person of character has a level of self-control. You can be successful. You can be famous. You can be rich. You can be popular. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be a person of character. It just means that you are fortunate. But a person of character, they have a self-control. They, they discipline themselves. They, they know what is right. They know what is wrong. And they do their best to make sure that they are in right standing with God. The Bible talks about another Joseph. And this Joseph also was a man of high character. He was a man who was righteous. He was responsible. He was trustworthy. And he was willing to do what was right no matter what it cost him. This man, this Joseph, he was entrusted to be the guardian of God's greatest gift to humanity. And that was his only begotten son, Jesus. I'm talking today about Joseph, the adopted father of Jesus. What a high calling that was placed upon Joseph. God chose him to raise and to care for Jesus, the son of the most high God. And I want to say right now that if you here are a guardian or an um, adopted parent uh, or a parent of a child that isn't yours biologically, man, God bless you. God bless you. Keep up the good work. Keep up the good work. I know it can be trying, challenging. But the rewards, you can't put a price tag on it. You know, I, I grew up um, uh, not knowing who my biological father was. And the man that raised me, um, he married my mom when I was two years old, Gordon Free. That's where I got my last name from, right? 
And uh, he was a great example to me. He was a, he was a great example to me. He uh, loved me. He disciplined me. Sometimes a little too much discipline, but... But he was an example of a father, you know, and, uh, and I appreciated that. And what the biggest, I think, impact that made on me was he never introduced me as, oh, this is my stepson, or this is my uh, adopted son, or this is my wife's son. He always introduced me as, this is my son. And that made a huge impact in my life. So keep up the good work. Keep up the good work. Amen? The book of Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 24. We're going to look at Joseph and the character of Joseph this evening, right? It says, this is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, uh, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Verse 20, it says, As he considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. He said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will have a son, and you will name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message to the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. And the first thing I want to look at in the life of Joseph is that he was righteous. When you have character, that means that there's a righteousness working in your life. The Bible called Joseph righteous, and some translations say that he was a just man. And what they mean by that is that he was a follower of the law. He was devoted to the commandments. He was devout. And, and by the law, Joseph would have been justified in calling off the engagement. He would have been justified in ending the relationship. But see, him doing that would have exposed Mary's situation. And under the law, the sin of adultery was punishable uh, by public stoning. And to clarify this real quick, Mary was not in sin, you know, Mary was in the perfect will of God. But the perception of Mary being pregnant prior to her, her wedding, obviously people would have, you know, spoke and talked and, and things would have been a bad situation for this young lady. Joseph, he chose mercy over judgment. He chose to show grace over penalty. He didn't, he didn't want to publicly humiliate Mary so he decided to end the engagement discreetly, privately. In other words, he didn't want to make it to everyone's business. He was going to keep it their own business. He wasn't going to go and tell so-and-so about what's going on and talk to this person and put it on this blast and put it on this social media. He was going to keep their business their own. And, and there's times where your business needs to be your own business. Amen? <clears throat> I read a commentary and said, Mercy and compassion are the characteristics of the righteous person, that preserving the dignity of every human being, regardless of their mistakes or shortcomings, is the true lesson of Joseph. 
Joseph was righteous, but he was not self-righteous. And what righteousness is, is righteousness is being right with God. It means that you're in right standing with God, that you're seeking to take the position that God has specified, that God wants you to be in. On the contrast, uh, self-righteousness is when you choose to trust in your own understanding and you stand where you think is right and not in God's right standing. You're, in a sense, right in your own eyes. Someone said this, righteousness is not selfish or vengeful. It is compassionate. And Joseph's decision to protect Mary's reputation, it reveals the character of this man. That he was sensitive to the circumstance Mary was in. And, and, and I, I got to believe, it doesn't say this, but I got to believe that Joseph was wrestling with a whole series of emotions. I'm sure he was angry. He might have felt disrespected. You know, he might have felt like, I, I, even embarrassed, like, I can't believe this is happening to me. And for sure he was hurt. For sure he was hurting, and yet through all of these emotions and all of these struggles that I'm sure Joseph had to wrestle and had to deal with, he was still concerned about Mary, showed his love for her, showed his compassion, and showed his character for her. We've got to ask ourselves, how are we when someone offends us, when someone sins against us? We go with like our first reaction, our first inclination to stab back, to get back, to let them feel the pain that we're feeling? Or do we begin to see God and begin to try to find the mind of God for what's going on? See, it doesn't mean that we overlook the sin, you know, because sometimes we got to address that sin. We got to make sure that we're dealing with that sin, and we got to make sure that it's not consuming our lives. And there's times where maybe we have to take a step back and sit down and just say, okay, God, I need you to restore me. But Joseph, rather than humiliate and shame, he wanted to restore. And that's the grace of God that when we find ourselves struggling, when we find ourselves maybe having fallen, and rather than being humiliated and being ashamed, Man, thank God for the house of God and pastors that love us where we're rebuilt, we're restored, encouraged, and, and hey, we want to, want, to make you, want to see you succeed in the things of God. Book of Matthew, chapter 18, verse 15. It says, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. And if they listen, you have won them over. In James 5, 19 through 24, it says, my, brother, my dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save the person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. And this is the character of Joseph. He understood this. He understood that uh, she was in a circumstance and in a situation. Mary is referred to as the Lord's servant. And God was using Mary to bring the, 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 the Savior into the world. But from a human perspective, Mary was a young mother at a wedlock. And although she was in the perfect will of God, Mary was in a deep 
personal battle. It's sometimes easy when we see someone struggle and when we see someone fall, it's easy to pass judgment on them, right? But we don't always necessarily know what's going on in their lives. We don't always necessarily know what they're going through, what they're experiencing, what things that might have happened in their past and why they might struggle with certain issues. We need to remember what the Bible says, what the Lord Jesus said. When the mob wanted to attack the woman who was caught in adultery, he said, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. See, neither Joseph or Mary were perfect. They were human, just like you and I. But they were righteous, and they were both willing to be in the presence and in the will of God. They were both willing to be servants of God. Joseph and Mary, they were going to be the parents of Jesus and, and his future siblings. And there's a reason why marriages go through so many trials and why, God, or why the enemy assaults marriages, why the enemy would try to destroy marriages. God loves marriages. God created marriages. The Bible says what he's joined together, let no one separate. Amen. And, and let me tell you this, the reason God created marriage and loves marriage is because it produces godly offspring. Produces godly offspring. And God understood that uh, Jesus uh, was going to need that father figure in his life. That Joseph was going to play an instrumental role in the life of Jesus Christ. And that, that, um, he was gonna, that Mary was going to need her husband. And that they were going to raise up children of righteousness. We, we can't underestimate the love of a father. We can't underestimate the love, the, not just the love of a father, but the importance of a father in the house. We, we need fathers in this day and age to be fathers, to be fathers to their sons as examples, to be fathers to their daughters also as examples. Joseph. As I was reading, just thinking about him, I was like, man, he, he had a high call upon his life. Also a heavy burden, but it was one that he was willing, willing to take on without complaining, non-grudgingly, just he embraced the, the responsibility that God had placed upon his life. As parents, we need to remember that we're the stewards of the children that God has given us, that God has allowed into our home, biological or not. You know, we're to love them, we're to teach them with patience and grace, we're to speak words that encourage them, to edify them, to build them up. And Joseph, he too was a man of godly character, but also Joseph was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We need to recognize and listen for his voice and hear the voice of God. The Bible says uh, that Joseph considered he considered or was thinking or he was processing everything that was going on between him and Mary. And I believe uh, that in this time that Joseph was praying and he was seeking God and saying, what is it that you need me to do, God? He, he, he had his plan. Well, maybe if I just put her away quietly and that way, you know, nothing happens to her and she's not embarrassed. Uh, but God had a different plan for him and for her. And he said, Joseph... It's okay, this is my will. I want you to enter into it. And Joseph was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Uh, 
And he obeyed and listened and trusted the Holy Spirit, especially as God was leading him into an area he was so unfamiliar with. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. It says, seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. In James 1, 5, it says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking it. What an awesome thing that we can ask God for, for wisdom. Sometimes... Uh, Right? Sometimes we get intimidated of asking someone for something. What if they say no? What if they say, oh, you know, are you, are you serious? You're asking me for this? But we can come to God and ask him for these things that we need as stewards in his kingdom. Amen. We need to listen for the voice of God, for his direction and his guidance. God speaks primarily through his word. That's why it's so important that we study the Word of God, that we are reading the Word of God, because oftentimes uh, God will begin to show you through His Word the areas that you need to address or the decisions to, to confirm the decisions that you need to make. He speaks to us through the preaching of His Word. Oftentimes, uh, issues I've had to wrestle with, uh, it's like God told the preacher, all of a sudden they're coming over the pulpit and it's like, man, God's speaking to me. He's dealing with me concerning this. It's the Holy Spirit. God speaks to us through one another. He speaks through people. I, I remember um, a couple of years ago, I, I was talking to this sister here in the church, and we were talking about um, our kids. And I remember she was just telling me this word that just, she just had. She says, you know, words are good, Manny. And sometimes they'll listen to it. But you know what really changes people? She said, prayer. Prayer changes people. And you know what? That was the voice of God speaking through this woman. That was the voice of God speaking to me through this woman. God, he speaks to us through our thoughts and ideas. He speaks through us through signs and wonders and dreams. And understand that when we receive these dreams and signs and wonders, they will always be in line with the word of God. They will never contradict the will of the word of God. Those dreams and those signs and those wonders are to confirm what God has already been speaking to you through his word. So don't get it twisted. Okay? God did not tell you to start a commune on Catalina Island. The book of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 12 and 15. It says, Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own a country another way. This is Joseph, Mary, and Jesus when they were leaving Bethlehem. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. The enemy wants to destroy our young children, church. We can't forget that we're, as parents, we're the stewards of our homes. We're the caretakers of our homes. It says, when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, and they departed for Egypt. And, it was, and he was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, out of Egypt I called my son. 
See, Joseph, he was not only sensitive to the Holy Spirit, but he was obedient to the Holy Spirit. He did exactly what the Holy Spirit had, had requested of him, to marry, to marry Mary, to raise Jesus, and now to leave and go and to protect uh, Jesus. And God, he'll speak to us, and we can have confirmation after confirmation. We can dream dreams. We can see visions. But unless we're acting, unless we're do obedient, unless we're doing what the Spirit of God is telling us to do, then, then what's it for? There's a danger when we resist the voice of God, when we resist the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that our hearts can become hard and rebellious towards him. And if God is speaking to you tonight, and I don't know who you are, Whatever it is that God is speaking to you about, you need to just begin to submit yourself to that. As parents, we're to be protectors of our children. And God speaks to us as parents concerning our children and reveals areas in our lives that he wants us to begin to pay some attention to. Friends. Friends will always be something that God would want to, us to, to keep in mind or who our children are associating with, their acquaintances, worldliness. If our kids are drifting from God, God will show us. God will show us there's something taking place uh, in our child's life, and we're to begin to, with love uh, and patience and in prayer, begin to address this. Hey, son, hey, daughter, how's your relationship with God? What's going on, with, you know? I see some things, beginning to point them out, to help them with the decisions that they are making. Uh, Joseph, he was called to protect Jesus and his mother. There was a calling upon Jesus, and Joseph's role was to make sure that Jesus fulfilled that calling. And as a person of character, as a steward in the house of God, we have a responsibility to one another, and that is to help others fulfill their destiny. In the book of Matthew, chapter, 19, verse, uh, chapter 2, verses 19 to 23, it says, Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea, instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. See, Joseph was to do everything in his ability to prepare Jesus for the call of God that was upon his life. He took his responsibility serious to protect them. He took his responsibility serious to, to train them, to make sure that, uh, that Jesus fulfilled the destiny that God had placed upon him. Joseph and Mary both understood, because they had heard it from the angel, that God was going to use Jesus. And he made it his duty, and he made it his key responsibility to make sure that his son, who he was raising, fulfilled that destiny. See, we got to remember we're, we're talking about stewardship this month. And what stewardship means is sometimes taking care of what God has given us, but then also being ready to at some point let it go. At some point release it right back to God. 
And that can be difficult sometimes because we tend to see things as ours. It's mine. And God's saying, no, I'm lending it to you. I trust you. I have faith in you that you're going to do what I ask you to do with that which I'm giving to you. I like what John MacArthur said. He said, all Christians are but God's stewards. Everything we have is on loan from the Lord, entrusted to us for a while to use in serving him. As our worship team comes up this evening, there's a story about Jesus as a young child when he was in the temple. Book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 41 to 52. I'm not going to read the whole portion of Scripture. Well, maybe I will. It says, uh, His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, okay, underline 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. They had finished the day, they had... When they had finished the days, and as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it, but supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. And you say, how can they leave their son behind? How can they leave Jesus behind? If you've been in this church any amount of time, you will at some point leave your child here. Because it happened to us. One time my wife and I, we miscommunicated. We got home and you, where's the kids? I thought you got them. I thought you, thank God I only live five minutes away. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. And now, so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And so when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Your father and I sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. And his mother kept all these things in her heart. The Bible says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Now, a little bit about Jewish um, custom and tradition and culture is that right around at the age of 12 or 13, a young Jewish boy or young Jewish girl will have what's called their bar or bat mitzvah. And what that is simply is that... Uh, they're now recognized to be as a young Jewish adult. And, and basically what it means is that they are now responsible for their own actions and can decide for themselves how they would like to practice their religion. And Jesus, the Bible says, was, was 12 years old at this point, and he's in the house of God. He's in the temple, and he's asking questions, and he's, and he's uh, giving answers. And his mother and, and Joseph come, and, and his mom, like any mom, says, what are you Trying, you're trying to kill me? I haven't seen you. Where have you been? What's going on? Your father and I have been worried. And now Jesus makes a distinction. And he says, don't you know I have to be about my father's business? And he was saying that he was understanding 
who his father was. That his father was Jehovah. He was realizing that he was the son of God and, and he was beginning to embrace the call of God that was upon his life. And it could have been easy for Joseph to get upset and interject and punish him for not being with the, the caravan. But I think even Joseph understood what had just taken place right there and that distinction that Jesus was making. After this story, we don't really hear about Joseph anymore. It's, it's, it's assumed that he passed away, but we don't read or hear about Joseph anymore. Because at this point, Joseph's mission had been fulfilled. At this point, Joseph's call, the call upon Joseph's life uh, to raise Jesus as his own, to train him, to love him, to care for him, it was fulfilled. He saw now that Jesus, he himself knew what the call of God was upon his life and who his father was and is. Joseph, he never got to see Jesus enter into his ministry. He never got to see Jesus perform the miracles, the healings. He wasn't at the wedding when he turned the water into wine. He wasn't there when he raised Lazarus. He didn't get to see any of that. But Joseph was faithful to the call of God upon his life. Joseph was a man of character, a faithful steward in God's service, and that he protected, blessed, trained, and loved Jesus. Joseph in the life of young Jesus in that early life was the closest man that was to him and what an honor and what a privilege that he served God faithfully understanding what the call of God was upon his life and his role in the life of, of Jesus as we um, bow our heads and close our eyes tonight in reverence to God <clears throat>